Well, like I said before, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. So glad that you would join us on this Good Friday as we remember the cross and remember Jesus together. Uh, a year ago, we were just moving into this building and the space that we're at here now. And I remember that there was a guy here who was working on the fire alarm system at the time. We had to have this big fire alarm system installed. And, and on his way out, I remember that he, that he asked me, he just said, I've always wondered, why do people call this day Good Friday? Maybe you're here tonight and, and you are asking the same question. Why is today called Good Friday? And how could the murder of an innocent man be remembered as a good day? And the truth is, is that to understand that, we need to realize that good news is only good if there's bad news. My wife and I are, are blessed with two kids that we really enjoy and treasure. Uh, but for a while, we weren't sure if we were ever going to be able to have any kids at all. And we had been trying to get pregnant for a while, and, and it just wasn't happening. And so each month would pass, and still nothing. And, and it, was, it was really hard. And so I remember asking a friend uh, who he and his wife had just gotten pregnant. I remember asking, like, how, how long have you guys tried for? And he's like, about a day. And he was glad, but, but it, wasn't, it didn't seem like a big deal to him. I remember the morning that uh, we found out that we were pregnant with Emma, I was in the shower with uh, shampoo in my hair, and out of nowhere, something comes shooting through the shower curtain, right? It was a pregnancy test that uh, showed for the first time that we were finally pregnant, and, and it, was, it was incredible. See, after so many months of bad news, the news that we were finally pregnant, it was incredibly good news. You see, the, the same is true when it comes to how we think about Good Friday, Right? You see, in order to understand why Jesus' death is good news, we need to understand the bad news first. You see, in Matthew, he begins by telling us from the very first chapter of his book that the bad news is that all humanity is in desperate need of saving. What we need saving from is sin. See, sin is, is often misunderstood or misrepresented as bad behavior or, or, or wrong, wrong actions. But, but our wrong actions, they're just a symptom of the underlying disease. You see, sin is not just a mistake. Sin is not just a bad decision. You see, sin is fundamentally the choice that we all make to reject God's good authority. Instead of God being the one who says what is right and true and good, we want to be the ones who decide what is right and true and good. Instead of letting God be the one who decides what is best and true and right, we want to be God. And that's the choice that Adam and Eve made in the garden, and it's a choice that every one of us has made as well. And it leads to all kinds of wrong behavior, but the real problem is that at the core, what sin is, is sin is mutinous rebellion. We've all said to the king of the universe, I reject your good authority, I enthrone myself. And so that's why Ephesians 2 says that we are deserving of wrath. People don't often talk about God's wrath unless it's some really crazy person on TV with a ton of really bad CG animations that are flying around and just like freaking everyone out. But the way that the Bible talks about God's wrath is this, that it is his personal, righteous, constant opposition towards evil. It is his, un, it is his settled refusal to compromise with it in every way and instead his resolve to, in, to absolutely condemn it. You see, God is just and sin is evil and so all sin must be punished. All sin committed by us and against us. And the truth is, is that we have all been mutinous rebels to the king of the universe and we deserve death for trying to overthrow the king. See, and on Good Friday, the invitation for us is that we might sense the weight of the problem of sin. 
not just out there, but in here. You see, I think we all feel the weight of sin in some way. We all know it's a weight that we cannot bear. And so we try to just get out from under that weight in some way, shape, or form. For some, it just looks like distracting yourself with entertainment and, and, and just by feeding whatever passions that you have. For, for some, it's you try to get out from under the weight of sin by hiding it from others or hiding it, trying to hide it even from yourself. For, for some, you just try to ignore it or you just try to refuse to accept the reality of it. But most often, what happens is that we try to shift the weight of our sin onto someone else. See, that's why we're always comparing ourselves to other people. And we look on those who we deem as worse than ourselves. And we compare ourselves and we think, I'm not that bad. Or we feel bad when we compare ourselves to those we deem better than us and we're full of guilt and shame in light of that. You see, that's also why we blame other people for our sin. You see, when we, when we sin against each other, our default response is never to look inside of ourselves and to see what is wrong. No, our default response is, is always to shift the blame, to, to highlight what that person, the other person said or did or what they didn't say or what they didn't do. We try to destroy others thinking that it will make us right. We, we slander and we gossip and we speak poorly of others. We, we try to put others down and, and we store up bitterness to justify the blame that we, that we are shifting onto others. And one pastor points it out this way. What, what's happening when we blame others for our sin is that what we're looking for is a, an atoning sacrifice. You see, we are looking for someone else to pay the penalty for our sin. You see, this is the internal design that God has put within us, that someone should die for sin. You see, we rightly feel the guilt of our sin and our rebellion, and we just don't know how to handle it. We want to dispel it. We want to displace it. We, we want to run from it. We want to be out from under the weight of it. And so we try to hide behind others. And the truth is that we all know is that will never work. You see, hiding and ignoring and comparing and blaming, they can never actually remove your guilt. You see, and this is where we get to the good news of Good Friday. You see, you and I cannot bear the weight of our own sin, let alone anyone else's, but the good news of Good Friday is that God himself came to bear the weight of our sin. You see, on the cross, what God is saying is, point the finger at me. Blame me. I am the one who can take it. I will live the life that you should have lived, and I will die the death that you should have died for rebelling and for rejecting me, and I will pay the penalty that your mutinous rebellion owes. I will take the blame. I will take the punishment. I will take your place. And when Jesus gave his last breath, when he cried out, it is finished, it was. So now by faith, in Jesus' sacrifice for you, you get his standing, his status with the Father. Like him, God is well pleased with you. So you don't have to feel guilty enough. You don't have to beat yourself up more. You don't have to clean yourself up enough. You don't have to punish yourself or others. All of your sin is already paid for. Jesus already paid for it, all of it. All of your sin, he paid the penalty with his body and with his blood and so that through him we might have peace with God. You see, there was only one whose death could remove the guilt of sin. And what we remember on Good Friday is that the only one who could save us came. You see, that's why we call this day Good Friday.
That's what we're remembering. That's what we're celebrating whenever we take communion together as a church. You see the bread and the drink, they, they remind us of Jesus' body and his blood which were broken and shed for us on the cross as he died the death that our sin deserves so that we might be able to be forgiven and loved by God. See, his death in our place, not just for us, but instead of us. You see, what we're doing when we take communion is that we're proclaiming the gospel, we're reminding ourselves about who God is and about who we are because of all that he has done. You see, communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. The Bible is clear that the only thing that changes your status or your standing with God is when you put your faith in Jesus' work on your behalf. And so tonight, if, if you've trusted Jesus and if you've believed the gospel if you look to him alone to be the one who saves you and makes you right with God, then, then go back during our time of worship and take communion. Do it as a, as a celebration and a remembrance of all that Jesus has done. Or, or if tonight for the first time you've put your faith in the weight-bearing work of Jesus on your behalf, then go back. Take communion. And as you do, talk with God. You see, some of you, you're like me. And your tendency is to minimize sin, to ignore it, to just focus on God's grace, to to make little of it, to just keep minimizing it over and over. It's just this little thing. It's not that serious. And as we gather tonight to remember the cross tonight, you need God to graciously remind you as I needed God to graciously remind me that the gravity of our sinful mutinous rebellion is against him. We need God to remind us that the reality of the weight of our sin was so great that the only way to overcome it was that God himself might die. You see, if if you are like me in that sense, don't let the image that we read about tonight, the bloody body of Christ on the cross, don't let that pass you by unaffected. You see, Jesus hung there on the cross for you, because of you, instead of you. And as you take communion tonight, as you ask, I would encourage you to ask God to cause the gravity of your sin to sink into your heart so that the magnitude of his grace might not be something you take for granted, but instead it would be something that fuels a radical commitment to him, that, that fuels a life lived for him, that fuels a joy given to him. You see, but there are some of you here tonight, and you have no trouble sensing the weight of your sin. In fact, sometimes that's all you can feel. You are always aware of it, and the weight of it feels crushing to you. You are often filled with guilt or shame or condemnation, and the weight of your sin just feels like this anchor that you cannot let go of. And tonight, as you take communion, I want to encourage you, ask God to help you to remember, help you to rejoice, help you to celebrate the truth that Jesus came to bear the weight of your sin for you. The weight that you could not bury Jesus, the weight that you could not carry, Jesus came and he bore it for you. You see, he already died for your sin. It is done, it is finished, it is paid for. You see, what sin says is you are guilty, guilty, But what Jesus says on the cross is that you are forgiven, clean, paid for, restored, righteous, secure, safe, loved. You see, in him you are loved and enjoyed and treasured. In him God is pleased with you. See, what you need to remember tonight is that Jesus' death on the cross, it removed 
your sin from you. See, what happened on the cross is that Jesus absorbed all of God's just wrath for your sin. He absorbed every last part of it. And so God has no wrath left for you if your faith is put in the work of Jesus. But maybe you are here tonight, and what you are realizing is that the weight of sin is still on you because you have never come to Jesus and asked him to bear it for you. Maybe you've been around church your whole life. Maybe you've gone to church, grown up in it, you know all the songs, you know all the words, but you have never trusted Jesus to be the one whose life and death lived for you, on your place, for you, is the thing that makes you right with God. Maybe you've been trying to be good enough on your own, or you've been trying to be clean yourself up enough, or make yourself presentable enough, or just try to squeak by being better than someone else, and the truth is is that there is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. You cannot impress him. See, what the Bible says is that on our best day, what we bring to Jesus is just like worthless, filthy rags. I see, but the good news of the gospel is that you, while you can do nothing to save yourself, Jesus has already done everything that is required. And so tonight, I want to invite you to respond by confessing and repenting of your sin Not simply wrong behavior, but a rebellious heart that has rejected God's authority and one in which you have enthroned yourself as the king of of what is true and right and good. And I want to encourage you to acknowledge your need for Jesus alone and it's him to be the one that makes you right with God. And see, the invitation of Good Friday for all of us is that we might come to him, the one who was perfect for us, the one who lived for us, the one who died for us, the one, the one who, when he should have received trustworthy friends, the ones instead he received betrayal, the one who, when he should have received honor, received just lies and betrayal, the one who, when he should have received life and blessing and chose instead to receive death, the one who did that for you, you need to hear this, he did it not just for you, but instead of you. You see, he came to bear a weight that you and I could not bear. Hebrews tells us that he did that for the joy that was set before him. You see, because the joy of the gospel for Jesus is not just that he would come to die, but that he would come so that you and I might have life with him. That's what's so good about Good Friday. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come with hearts that are full of gratitude tonight. God, thankful for all that you have done. God, also we come with hearts that are, God, that sense the weight of our sin and the weight of the gravity of that in which the only way to, to overcome it was for you to die for us in our place. And so, God, we come tonight asking you that you might help us to, to grapple with the reality of that in such a way that it changes who we are. God, we don't want to be a people who takes for granted all that you have done for us. We don't want to be a people who, who makes light of what you have accomplished or, or what the sacrifices that you have made. Instead, we want to be a people who live in light of the magnitude of your grace made known to us on the cross. And so we say, Jesus, help us to see. Help us to see rightly who you are, all that you have done, and who we now are in you so that we might worship the one who has come to save. We love you, Jesus. Thanks that you have loved us first and pursued us when we were running far from you. In your good name we pray. Amen.